Well, this last week I was talking to a gentleman from Michigan who uh, just wanted to express his thanks for what we do as a church and also for the messages we put online. So you know who you are. If you're watching from Michigan, love you. Hope to see you again soon. Uh, This is part three of a message series, and hopefully in just a little bit also we'll get someone to maybe come up here and uh, plug in the TV so we can use that for the message. Um, But uh, what we're doing here in part three is uh, we're going through a series that's called Building North Cross, not so much the bricks and mortar of how to construct a facility, but the behind the scenes. What does it mean to be the church, and what did Jesus intend for his church? And we've got a lot to dive into today, so I kind of just want to get straight to the point. I'm more of a to-the-point kind of person. And what we talked about last week sets us up perfectly for today, where we talked about what Jesus wanted his church to do. Go make disciples. And we saw an incredible story last week about how um, one of the followers of Jesus was told by God where to go and what person to talk to as he made a disciple. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today as we dive into a really interesting part of Jesus' uh, life. And what we're going to look at is this. What does it mean to be a disciple? I know as, as I was growing up, I thought the, the command, go make disciples, was you're supposed to go out and share a message about Jesus and then move on. And that's part of it. But discipling is actually much, much deeper than that. Discipling isn't just sharing a message, but discipling is a lifelong thing, a lifelong transformation. And I want to, just to make sure I'm perfectly clear, the most essential step is what I just said. In order to make disciples, you have to go and share what Jesus has already done. Because of what he did, we have a right relationship with God and we can follow Jesus. Jesus lifted up the punishment that was supposed to be on us and he took it on himself so that God no longer has to punish you for your sin. In Jesus, you are loved and forgiven. You're a child of God. And that's a one-time change of your eternity. You are now brought into a right relationship with God. That's when discipleship starts. But as Jesus taught people, and as the apostles of Jesus went out to teach people who were then learning more about God, it didn't stop there. You see, it begins with what Jesus did, but then it grows on to what is Jesus doing in my life? And the way I phrase it for myself is that every time I stand up here, every time I share a message, here's kind of my, my goal, and every preacher may, maybe is a little bit different or every communicator, but the way I put words to it is simply to say, I want to show you what Jesus can do when your life is built on what he has done. When you take the forgiveness of Jesus, the grace of Jesus that he did for you, past tense, done, when you take that and you bring it into your marriage, I want to show you what that'll do to your marriage. When you take the the self-control that Jesus taught and the self-control Jesus empowered people to have, and if you take that and you put it into practice in your life, I want to show you what that might look like for your life. So yes, we talk about how Jesus changes eternities. That's the most important. That's the foundation of his church. But on that foundation is the transformation of lives in the meantime. Now, I'm going to make some assumptions about you today. Those in the room, those listening online, those watching online, I'm going to make an assumption. I don't normally make assumptions, so when I do, I have to verbalize them. I'm going to assume that you would like to see this in your own life. You want to see what Jesus can do when your life is built on what he's done. 
If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, I don't have to assume that too much because that's kind of the package deal. Your life is a reflection of what you believe about God. If you're not a Christian, if you're just kind of trying to figure this thing out, maybe this is the reason that you're kind of not getting it or you're, you're kind of pausing is because you're not sure you want Jesus to do some things in your life. But what I'm assuming about all of you is that you're at least curious. What would Jesus do? What could he do if my life was built on what he did? If I brought his grace, his forgiveness, all of the things he could do, and they were pushed out into every corner of my life. Now, for those of you who are Christians, this bothers you. Because now this brings up a question that you don't like the answer to. Have I been reflecting what Jesus did? Does my life reflect what God did for me? Am I forgiving? Am I loving? Am I patient? Am I kind? And the more we dig into that, the more we get uncomfortable with what we find. We would love it if Jesus, if we could see what Jesus would do. But in reality, we're uncomfortable with the answer for whether or not that happens. So what I want to do is just make an observation, mostly true for those who are followers of Jesus, which I assume, I hope many of you are. And it's this, number one on your sheet if you're taking notes. Something is stunting your growth. Something is preventing this good news of what Jesus did from being pushed out into your life. Something is slowing it down. What is it? I just had to pause there to make you uncomfortable for a bit. What is it that's stunting your growth? You and I want to be more like Jesus. In fact, even the people who didn't like Jesus wanted to be like him. Everyone would like to be more like Jesus. So what is stopping us from having that degree of peace and patience and self-control and love and forgiveness? What is the holdup? And the interesting thing is this, that one day Jesus was standing in front of a large crowd of people, people just like you, people just like me, people who were following him, but people whose growth was stunted. They were following him, but at the same time, they were struggling to put into practice the things that he was teaching. And as he looked at this big crowd, I love how he addressed them. He didn't yell at them and say, come on, shape up, be more like me. But instead, in a gentle way, he told them a parable, a parable that basically opens the curtains to give us a supernatural view of what happens when the message of Jesus is pushed out into a person's life, but something stops it. Something prevents you from growing. And Jesus, with supernatural eyes, shows us what's going on that we can't see. And by the end of this, what I hope for you is that you'll at least understand a little bit more of why it is that the, the good things you want to see Jesus do in your life sometimes meet this barrier, this roadblock. And as Jesus taught this parable, he pointed to three things that can get in the way of people when he tries to work in their life. And so Jesus, as he's just to set the scene a little bit, there's this huge crowd of people around him, so many that perhaps out of concern for the crowd as they're going to trample each other, or maybe just out of concern for wanting to address as many of them as possible, he made use of the best technology, the most up-to-date technology that he had in his day. He got in a boat, and he pushed out a little bit from the shore, and the shore made this natural amphitheater so that he was able to project and have a large number of people listen. 
And as he's looking out across the crowd, he's standing up in the boat, and this huge crowd is just leaning in. Many of the people had been following him for a while. Some people, maybe this is their first day. They had heard so much about him. And so the people are leaning in, like, what is he going to say? What parable is he going to use? What's going to blow our mind today? And so Jesus, as he sees all these people who follow him, but whose growth is stunted, he tells them a parable that gives them supernatural view of what gets in the way. He says this, a farmer went out to sow his seed. If you're younger, to sow seed means you're planting seed. You're just throwing them around. Uh, He was scattering seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some of it fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. And the people are leaning in like, okay, we get it. We're, we're a farmer society. We get the whole farming thing. What, a, what are you trying to tell us with this parable, Jesus? And, and so maybe I envision that Jesus kind of pauses at this moment. He lets the people sink in the story of the seed falling on different kinds of, of, of grounds, different kinds of soil. And as the people are waiting for him to explain, Jesus simply says this, whoever has ears, let them hear. And then like he just drops the mic and he's done. And the people are left there wondering, what just happened? What is the deal with this farmer and his seeds? And it wasn't, it was only the people who approached Jesus afterwards. They said, Jesus, what was that whole parable thing about? You talk about this farmer sowing seeds and some, most of it didn't work, but only some of it did, but it was crazy. What was that all about? And Jesus said, all right, here's what it means. He gathers his, his, his closest disciples. He's like, I'm going to tell you what I see what I wish you could see, what I wish all the people would ask about, what I wish they would see. He said this, when anyone hears the message of the, about the kingdom, so in other words, when people hear the things I'm preaching and I'm sharing, and one day the message is you're preaching and you're sharing, when they hear that message, but they don't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. And the key word there is people that receive the good word of the news of the kingdom, in other words, what God has done for them, but they don't understand it. And that's the key word, they don't understand. And I was trying to contextualize that for us. And I think especially in 21st century America, it can be difficult to understand some of the things that Jesus said, some of the things that are written in the scriptures. But for us today, I think it kind of boils down to two main things that can leave us in a vulnerable position where the bird can just swoop in and steal the good, free gift that God wants to give you. The first thing, questions that you can't answer. And I think this is becoming increasingly pressuring on on us today. We have to defend the entire Bible, and if there's a part of the Bible you can't answer a question on, then the entire thing crumbles. And we've talked about that in other messages. But there's this increasing pressure that you have to have all the answers. But if you have questions that you can't answer, and if you don't acknowledge them or address them, they can linger, and they can leave you vulnerable. The other thing is maybe doubts that you can't let go of. 
The questions, if, they, if you leave them long enough, they turn into these doubts and you kind of feel embarrassed because you shouldn't really talk to other people about your doubts about God and you're tougher than that, at least the guys are. And you don't want to share your doubts and so the longer you hold on to that, we just leave ourselves vulnerable in an open place where any little bird can come and snatch us up. But the big thing that Jesus is sharing with this picture, first of all, yes, our misunderstanding, our questions and our doubts, but the bigger thing that he's focusing on is the bird. There's this bird that wants to come in and snatch the good free gift of God's forgiveness that he planted in you. See, the devil, he can't compete with God, but where you are vulnerable and alone, where you have questions and doubts that are unresolved or unaddressed, that's where you are vulnerable. So you guys know this maybe uh, here in Minnesota, you know, ever have a bird problem trying to take care of birds, keep birds away? Um, any ideas? How do you keep birds away? Don't, no guns. We're in the city, so guns are out. Farm, farmers, you can use guns probably, but one thing that I've seen, have you seen those little bird spike things where if you don't want a bird to land on a ledge, you just put those sharp plastic spikes up and so it kind of keeps them away? Have you seen that? Am I crazy here? You've not seen that. You should, okay, well, I'll show you a video in just a minute. What they do is, so you put these bird spikes up and it, it's supposed to keep the bird from landing. And here's what I think we do. When it comes to our questions and our doubts, the things we don't understand, instead of addressing them, we just try to ignore them. We, we try to build up some things around them so that we can just kind of accommodate the things that we should eliminate or we accommodate the things that we should address. I found a video that illustrates what these bird spikes are, but it didn't have the intended consequence. Take a look. Sure, they're dropping stuff. I just can't imagine the guy who put those spikes up and then he comes back later like, what happened? <laughs> who did this? You see, your enemy is smart enough to figure this stuff out. If you've got things that are stalling your faith or stunting your faith or stunting your growth, we need to do more than just build things around it. We need to acknowledge it and address it. This is a church where questions and doubts are, are free to share. That's okay. Because we need to address and, and um, talk through those things. And kind of as I thought about this, you know what? The, the bird that wants to come along and snatch this, this good gift that God wants to give you, this news of the kingdom, I was trying to think of, you know, the positive to how God helps us through that. And I came up with all sorts of great phrases about, you know, how, um, you know, you can be strong and all this stuff. But you know what? I just landed here with number two. Your bird is bigger. <laughs> You have a bigger bird that's working for you. You see, the Holy Spirit is often described in the Bible as the one who's your counselor, your friend, the one who guides you. Uh, so often, most often, he uses scripture to say, here, take a look for yourself how wide and deep God's love is for you. You have questions. You have doubts. That's normal. Let me show you the answer. You have a bigger bird who's on your side, the Holy Spirit, who's there to help you 
to be with you. The devil has nothing on him. So what's been stunting your growth? Has it been questions? Has it been doubts? Your bird is bigger. We have to keep moving. Uh, Verse 20 here, Jesus gets into the second uh, type of soil. Uh, The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy because who wouldn't receive this kind of a message with joy? The, The news that our sins are forgiven, we have a good relationship with God and we have a good God who loves us. That's amazing. Who wouldn't want to believe that? But it goes on. Since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So this is someone who comes to faith or learns about God and quickly, what an amazing message this is, and they're like, sign me up. I want some of that. But what they don't realize is that they have not stopped to count the cost. To be a disciple of Jesus doesn't just mean God showers good things on you, but to be a disciple of Jesus, as Jesus himself warned, means you have to pick up your cross daily and follow him. There's two different levels to this. I think um, maybe another way to phrase it is this. Some might say, oh, I want God to bless me with all the things that are good. And that's what my relationship with God means. He blesses me with things that are good. And as long as I get things that are good, my relationship with God is good. But we all know that in this world, that's not where it ends. This might be the way that you started out with God, where you just heard about a God who loves you and forgives you, and hey, this is great. God is on my side. My life is going to change and turn around. Maybe it did for a couple of weeks or a couple months, but then bad things happened. The good things stopped. And here's what you need to recognize if you're going to avoid these uh, times in life that might stall your faith or stall your growth. While we like it when God blesses us with good things, God is able to shape me with the things that are not good. God shows me his goodness and the good things he gives me, but he ultimately shapes me and grows me through the things that are not good. It's when things are not good that I'm forced to depend on him. It's when I have no money that I'm forced to lean on him. It's when I'm abandoned that I most crave his presence. I want God to bless me with things that are good, but I also recognize the deeper root is that God is able to shape me even with things that are not. So number three here, if you want to avoid these areas where you might be stagnant or stalled in your growth, be eager to be reshaped. When you come into the presence of God and his word that's being sown in your life, whether that's your personal Bible reading or sitting in a church and having someone preach at you, when you enter that environment, you open up your heart and you say to God, I dare you to plant something in me today. I dare you to plant something in me, something good, something bad. You shape me through it. Be eager to be reshaped. And as you approach it with that kind of attitude, that allows that deeper root to settle in so that your life is built on what Jesus has done and you can see what Jesus can do. As Jesus continues, there's one more seed that he mentions that has a negative consequence. So far, he's talked about the devil and this this questions and doubt thing. That's more us. We are the other enemy that can make things go bad. And then um, there's this third enemy that he points to that we have to be aware of. He says, the seed falling among the thorns in the parable, that refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word 
making it unfruitful. Jesus had to teach all the time to people who were filled with worry. You know why? Because they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have pantries. The food they were eating today had to be grown or bought today. Every day was a question, what will we eat? They didn't have stores to go to to buy clothing. So every day it's a question, what will I wear? And Jesus had to teach them, don't worry. Don't worry. Do we still have worry today? Yes, it pales by comparison. We still have all sorts of different kinds of worries today in today's world. Worry can choke you, can choke the seed that God wants to plant in you. And I love this other phrase. He talks about this deceitfulness of wealth. And I think the big deceit is simply, if you're wealthy, your life will be good. And we've bought into that. That's the American dream. You own a house, you got a good career, you get a family, you're set, get your retirement taken care of, and you're fine. But Jesus says that is a big lie. That's a big deceit. Your life isn't about that stuff. If your life is all about money, if it's all about worrying about things, the word, the good thing that God wants to plant in you will be choked out. He wants to give you a free gift That changes your eternity. But if you're so focused on this life, that gift can be choked out. So when it comes to the way that God works and he plants seed, he plants his word in you, every time you are confronted with something, you need to ask yourself a question. This is the truth from God that he's planting in me. Is there a lie that I've been believing in its place? Number four on your sheet identify the subtle lies. I was talking to another person um, this last week who was listening to our messages, and she had mentioned how this um, series that we did called The Lies Couple Believes, she appreciated it so much. Not that the lies we talked about were blatant, like, oh yeah, I totally depend on my spouse for happiness. We don't say those things. It's more the subtle internal lie that more dictates how we live and how we act. And this is so true of our everyday lives. There are subtle lies that we believe, like I can't be happy without money, or I can't be secure without wealth, or my worth depends on how I compare with others. Those are lies. And as God sows his word in you, he tells you truth. Your value was determined at the cross where God paid a big price for you. And as he gives you these truths, you need to evaluate, has there been a lie that I've been believing in its place? So this last big thing that can get in our way is this this world around us with the worries, the life, the daily life that can get in our way, but we need to identify the lies that we get so entangled in. Now, in just a minute, we'll look at the last phrase. We'll close up the message here. But I just have to be honest and open here. As, as I dug into this parable and looked at what Jesus was, t- was teaching, there was a moment of conviction for me. Uh, not too long ago, we had to take four weekends off, which for a pastor feels really weird when you don't have church for four weeks. But that gave me a chance to go to other churches in the area, kind of see how they're doing things. You know, I, I, I'm a learner, so I love to see how other people do stuff. And here's what I found myself doing. I would walk into a place... And inevitably, I would find something to be critical of. And most often, it was this. I was critical of the farmer. Whoever it was that was sharing the message or sowing the seed, I would, I would say, your mannerisms are so distracting, dude. You need to change that. And I would have said that totally better. You know, if only I could stand up with a microphone and share with the people how it's really supposed to be done. You know, I was so critical of the farmer. And I think some of you might 
be uh, challenged with that too, where when you show up on a Sunday morning and there's some people up on stage or up on the front and you're like, why are they doing that? I would have phrased that differently. That's so awkward. I just feel weird. We're critical of the farmer to the point where we forget about the power of the seed. That was convicting for me. It's not about the farmer. It's not about the farmer. We support the farmer. We love the farmer. We have the Farmers Association of something. The other thing that came to mind is, is this, that we can be so frustrated with the soil. Um, how many of you, don't raise your hands, how many of you during today's message, you were like, man, I wish Jimmy was here because he's totally, you know, that's, that seed along the soil and he really needs to hear this. I'm just so frustrated with Jimmy because he won't listen. But here's the thing we need to do. The soil is you. It's not about them, it's about you. It's about me. The story here isn't so much about how the farmer was so careless with all of his seed. It's not about how the soil is a source of frustration. But in the last phrase here, Jesus highlights what needs to be seen. The seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. In that day, if you had a crop that yielded 30 times what was sown, that would be exceptionally good. If you had a crop that was 60, that's unheard of. A crop of 100 times is miraculous. What we're working with here is a miracle. And in this story, it's so easy to be critical of the farmer. It's so easy to be frustrated by the soil, but I want you to choose today instead to be amazed by the miracle. That when God plants his seed in you, you have no idea what can happen. Not just for you. This isn't just, oh, God's doing something for me. Many times it is. But so often, the crop is beyond you. It's for the people around you, the people whom God wants you to love. So as a church, where do we land on this? We're the careless farmer. We don't care who comes in these doors. We're going to share the good news and let God take care of it. We're going to help disciples be that good soil that's open to receiving, that's ready to be shaped, that's ready to identify the lies that they've been been believing, the subtle lies. But at the end of the day, we're going to celebrate the miracle of what God does. When he changes in eternity, he also has the power to transform a life. And we simply want to show you what Jesus can do when your life is built on what he's done. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, in this room, I think we might tend to try to pigeonhole ourselves into one type of soil and say, yep, that's me. But I think in reality, all three different types of the, the uh, challenging soil, they, they all bear some truth to us. I simply pray that you'd give us the wisdom this week to be able to identify some of the things that Jesus taught us today, that we would see the things that can keep us from growing, to keep us from building our life on, lives on what Jesus has done. And I simply pray, too, that as we do that, we would not be self-focused and we wouldn't be critical of others, but we would just be amazed at the miracles you can do when your gospel is preached and shared and believed. So bless our church as we're a church that's built on what Jesus has done, leading people to build their lives to see what he can do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.